Hello and welcome to year eight of the Geeky Primary Podcast. That's, that's just a depressing <laughs> number, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're like a little pie popper. I'll, I'll, I'll digitally put one in afterwards. <laughs> a little bit of conversion. Yeah, year eight. If you can find, if you can find like the worst like pre-made word art <laughs> level thing, that would be the best, I think. <laughs> but yeah, year eight, we're back. So joining me today, your home Mr. Ryan Parrish, is Mr. Matt Lovell. Hello. Is Mr. Sam David Edwards. Hello. Mr. Lee Price. Hello. And of course, Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Hey. How are we all? We all good? All ready to ready room to go? Year eight? Issue one again? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, we've got the highlight of Madam Web to talk about in the review. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, BAFTA winners and the Oscar predictions that we have for 2024. Uh, we have uh, one geek thing of what we've all been up to over the last couple of months since Christmas. And we also will be talking about Embracer Group and their implosion, which will be a fun subject to discuss. Mm-hmm. But we'll see you after this. Madden Web is a Sony Spider-Verse movie, but not the same Spider-Verse that's in the comic book movie, in the, in the animated movies. It's in the same movie world as Venom and Morbius. I, I've seen some places referring it to uh, referring to it as the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters, or Spunk for short. <laughs> that is a horrible acronym. <laughs> Maybe Spoo. <laughs> yeah. Sp- Sony Pictures Omniverse, there we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so just come out, released by Cumbrook, produced by Columbia Pictures, De Bonaventura Pictures, in association with Marvel. I'm assuming Marvel might want to not associate themselves <laughs> with this anymore. And TSG Entertainment. Marvel, whether they like it or not. <laughs> yes. So it's basically starring Dakota Johnson, Sidney Sweeney, Celeste O'Connor, Isabel Merced, Tahir Rahim, Mike Epps, Emma Roberts, and Adam Scott. And it's basically introducing the character of Madam Webb from the comics in a slightly different format, I would say, than the comic one. Keith, do you want to give us the comic history of Madame Webb as a character? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm having to check my notes on this. So, originally, the, the, the comic character of Madame Webb, Cassandra Webb, appeared in Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man number 210, mm-hmm. uh, which was in November 1980. Uh, it was created by Denny O'Neill uh, and John Romota Jr., who's still currently doing Amazing Spider-Man at the moment, um, to... She's a character who originally appeared as a precognitive mutant, uh, and she also had telekinetic powers and other, other bits and pieces. And she's kind of connected to the kind of wider, kind of webby verse thing that Spider-Man's now got and has developed over the years. That it's all these interconnected, spidery people kind of thing that's happening. <laughs> um, so you know, she kind of just helped him out. She was an elderly lady who kind of basically sat in the middle of a, a web. Yeah, um, I think she's got Myocynthia Gravis in the comic books, which basically means she can't walk and she can't Yeah, so see. she can't move, so she's kind of stuck in this place. And so visually, she's very good. She usually has kind of like a mask mm-hmm. over her eyes. Uh, she Visually, if you looked at her, she was, she's a little bit like Blind Justice in kind of that kind of the iconography of what the character looked like. Um, but this movie version, from what I've read in the previews, kind of just jettisons all of that for some kind of rando in an ambulance who... 
hangs out with uh, Peter Parker's father. So I'm not quite not, sure what well, they're trying to do with that. Well, I think we mentioned right now, spoilers, complete spoilers, because we are going to probably rip this film apart a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you've, you've all been to see it. As, yes. As I'm currently refusing to give Sony money and encouraging them to keep making these uh, terrible films. Well, Although hoping, the upside of this one is it doesn't star Jared Leto. Um, well, so that's one plus point for it. Yes. Well, it's currently running at a... 13% score on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, that's gone down since I last saw <laughs> it. was 16% the last time we checked, but now it's down to 13%. Um, we spent an hour after the film talking about how bad the film was. It's that bad. It takes a lot for me to think that a film is bad. There's normally something in, the, in there that I can latch onto and say, oh, I quite yeah. enjoyed that part. This was, this was awful. I... Yeah. So it's the same. It was the writing team who've done um, Matt's Armour and Bert Sharpless wrote the script for this one. Their last previous titles are Dracula Untold, The Last Witch Hunter, Gods of Egypt, and then Morbius. Yeah, it's, that's a bit of a track record, isn't it? <laughs> it's, like, it's a declining track record, which I didn't think was actually possible. Yeah. The bigger the film they get, the worse their writing apparently happens. I think what they had was 10 minutes of actual plot, and then they decided to make that a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Sounds about right. Is it actually that long? It's about two hours 20, I think. Um, uh, 116 minutes, so just show of two hours, actually. Although that 16 minutes is probably just... They do a bit where basically they flash back the start of the film. So the first 16 minutes of the film, they then... Redo the entire... Redo bit. the entire first 16 minutes in a flashback halfway <laughs> through the film. Because mm. the question I've got is, what I'd heard is they basically stripped out a lot of the connection to the wider Sony Spider-Verse. Yeah. So obviously there's some insinuation about the existence of... Potential existence of Spider-Man, because this is set in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, so it's set in 2003. I'll quickly run through the plot. So basically, it starts in 1973, actually, doesn't it? So it starts in 1973 in deepest, darkest Peru. There are no marmalade sandwiches, unfortunately. <laughs> it starts in deepest, darkest Peru with Madame Webb's mother exploring the jungle to find this spider that can fix lots of things. It's like this magical spider that can cure the world of all its ills. Got peptides in its venom. Yes, it's got peptides in its venom. And there's also these spooky, but they're in this part of the jungle which is quite spooky because apparently there's this tribe who have like superhuman strength and can climb trees and have venomous fingers. But part of the mythology is they get all these powers from spiders, but she doesn't believe that they exist at all. She writes them in a notebook, which we'll come back to later. (laughs) But so she hires a bodyguard because it's in a dangerous part of the Peru for her and her two other researcher friends. Um, we have a scene at a waterfall, which is basically her just saying, oh, I found a spider web. And then this the guy who's their bodyguard is like, oh, I'm, brank- I'm almost bankrupt. We need to find this spider. Clanger. <laughs> and then... So, and then she just turns up with the spider 30 seconds later with no explanation. She just comes back with a jar with the spider in going, hey, I found the spider. <laughs> and then Mr. Bodyguard guy then shoots the other two sci- scientists... Tries to wrestle the spider. Oh, she's heavily pregnant as well. She's about eight and a half months pregnant. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> so he wrestles the spider and accidentally shoots her. And then the spider people take shocked pregnant lady, put her in this magical pool 
inject her with the spider venom, she dies, and then baby Cassandra Webb starts. And then we have a 30-year time jump to 2003. So is, is the bodyguard Ezekiel? He is Ezekiel, okay, so yes. Yeah, so obviously... I, I'm, why would a heavily pregnant lady be stuck out in the middle of the dark, deepest, darkest Peruvian jungle at this point? This doesn't, doesn't we come seem back to very, that when yeah. we have the we, same yeah. 60 minutes of footage later on. <laughs> but yeah, so we find out Ezekiel now has lots of money and power, but he doesn't explain where any of it's from. He just is rich and powerful now. And has spider powers because he's, got the, he's still got the spider 30 yeah. years later, um, yeah. alive in a tank. Yeah, uh, but sometimes. so... Yeah, and then basically he's tormented at night by dreams of three spider ladies coming to kill him and throw him out of a building. And then the entire plot is he wants to kill these three girls before they become spider people and while they're teenagers. And Madam Webb tries to save them. Yes. Yeah. But she can't do anything except control things with her mind. <laughs> sort of sometimes see bits into the future. Yeah. <laughs> Does she actually use the moniker Madam Webb? No. No. So it's called good. Madam Webb. She's just Cassandra but, Webb. But is the name used at any point no. in our entire no, film? Not even at the end. Ah, okay. So there's no, yeah. like, I'm going to take on the, the persona of Madam Webb. There's no, no, she does get no, the like, world's re worst reveal. sunglasses at the end of the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she's in a wheelchair for no... Again, they don't really explain that very well. She just falls off a building with a big S that she can't see anymore. So this is just genuinely bad, even if you strip out the kind of superhero elements. Well, if you took away that opening scene and just started in 2003 New York and then had that as the clashback... It would have been so much of a better movie because you didn't know who Ezekiel was, you didn't know who was hunting the girls, you didn't know his motivations. It could have been a great thing of, oh, he actually killed your mother 30 years ago, that's why things have happened. No, the just entire exposition for the first 16 minutes ruins the rest of the movie. And then you spend the rest of the movie watching the characters f discover things that we all already knew ages ago. Yeah, <laughs> so it takes any impetus out of the movie. I'd say the one, there's two good highlights in the movie. One is Adam Scott, who actually turned up to act, unlike the rest of the cast. <laughs> Playing Ben Parker. <laughs> his, his name is Ben Parker, and he's a paramedic, and he's about to become an uncle. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's, he's got a date with someone, but he hasn't said who it is. But no. he's, uh, he's very excited for it. He thinks he may be the one. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that's another subplot of him then. Well, it's not even really a subplot. It's just she goes to a baby shower and then weird it's, stuff happens. And then she promotes Pepsi for about 30 seconds. It's an excuse to crowbar as much about Peter Parker as you can without mentioning Peter Parker into the film to try and connect it to everything else. Yeah. There's even, they play the world's dullest game in the baby shower of guess what the baby's name is going to be without uh, any clues or <laughs> anything. So it's literally <laughs> just a room full of people calling names out. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, Emma Roberts sat in the middle going, what's my baby going to be? My, my brother-in-law is Ben Parker. What's my baby's name? Um, <laughs> no, no, there's a worse bit before that, which is tell me a good story about your mother. Oh, yes. And then Madame Webb or Cassie Webb puts in a blank piece of paper because she has no stories about her mother and then tells this heavily pregnant lady about how her mother died in childbirth in the jungle. That was quite funny, to be fair. That was That's slightly amusing. The closest they came to deliberate. Uh, humour. <laughs> yeah. But I think 
Apart from Adam Scott, maybe the girls. I think the girls probably malign those a little bit. So Sydney no. Sweeney, Isabella Merced, and um, what's her face? Brain's gone dead. Celeste O'Connor. So those three girls. They try and do a little bit of, yay, girls doing it for ourselves. They, like, they were fine. They, they were they, fine. Acting-wise, they did as well as they could have done with the material they were given, I think. Dakota Johnson has one emotion for the entire movie, which is disinterest. <laughs> <laughs> Bordering on mild irritation to be yeah. having to be out of bed, basically. <laughs> yeah, she has no emotional impact in the movie. No, nothing. It's like if you've seen any of the social media going around from the... Um, Madam Webb press junkets. She's exactly the same as that in the film. She's, I think she's more energised in the press stuff than she is actually in the movie. <laughs> and what's his face? Tahira him. I think every single one of his lines seems to have been overdubbed afterwards. So again, there is zero emotion in his dialogue. It's just like, oh, I have paid a lot of money to get this technology for you from the NSA. And his everything he said was so poorly written it, it was just the most ham-fisted villain dialogue uh at one point he says something along the lines of um uh you're lucky for not having known when you woke up this morning that today was going to be the last day of your life <laughs> <laughs> well see, see controversially i would say i think he was one of the only ones who read read the script when this is going to be garbage let's have some fun because i think he was chewing the scenery quite a lot yeah in a good way, mm -hmm. it was even to the um, to the the supervillain falling to the death, going no. It was all <laughs> yeah. very. It was very ham. It, it was very ham. I think it, he tried for the Rick Ren in Prince of Thieves, <laughs> but failed miserably. <laughs> this is the problem. It's like you need to be a good actor to be able to pull off big ham. Yeah, and he didn't. No, I, I just I think it was all just very interesting because everything was a choice and throughout the entire movie I was just sitting there going, this was a choice. <laughs> um, there's obviously a lot of material they could draw from and the, they the most deliberately all? avoided everything they possibly could to make it good. And even with the whole, like, um, the superpowers not really being, and the whole costume side of things not really being a focus of the movie. I don't think it's necessarily bad if executed properly, but it just wasn't. So yeah. the vast majority of the film, as you said, was kind of just didn't really need to happen. <laughs> well, a lot of the press posters, I think, had the three girls in like the different Spider-Women or Spider-Girl costumes. And they're in two dream sequences in the whole film, and that's it. They never actually get their powers, nothing like that. It is purely just, we'll have a dream sequence where we'll murder Ezekiel. Is, is there any explanation as to why Ezekiel wears a suit that looks like a Spider-Man suit? No, Absolutely. and he's in and out of that suit every 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. One scene is in the suit, next scene is out of the suit, in, out. There's no explanation. Because that's, that's the thing, you think, why would Spider-Man base his suit around that look? Well, it's like, oh, have... how does he even know? Is, does does his parents like have it at the end of Madame Web and he's hanging up in the closet and he finds it later on? Is that, like, it's like, oh, that's cool, but I need to make it black, red and blue. Well, they, they try and make an attempt of making them look spidery suity with the Peruvian tribe, which just doesn't work because you see it on screen for about yeah. 30 seconds. And I know Sam has major issues with the cinematography as well. Oh, it was... Uh, incredibly disorienting. Uh, they kept spinning the camera around as if... They were sort of trying to make it difficult to work out if someone stood on the floor or the ceiling or what. Uh, but it just meant 
<laughs> like it, it's, that's not how you want to be viewing anything. It's not exciting or dynamic. It's just makes you feel dizzy. Yeah. I'm glad if we didn't see it in 4DX, put it that way. It seems like a waste of, of characters because Ezekiel Sims is quite an interesting character in the comic books because he, he appeared kind of the early 2000s in, in a run. And it, visually, he looks really cool. He's an old guy with white hair and he's he, unexplained spider powers. And he, he takes on a kind of mentory role for Peter for a while. And then they introduce this, this it, began, it gets a little bit ridiculous as it expands into this kind of wider mystical element of like spider powers. It kind of goes beyond the kind of radioactive spider bite and into this kind of like whole mystical thing, which I, I imagine that's what the Peruvian jungle bits alluding to. And Cassandra Webb as a character is very interesting as well. She's played or used quite well in the an, a couple of the animated TV series. Like she kind of is the crux yeah. of pushing Peter towards a particular quest or whatever it is. So it just seems like a squandered effort. And I just think that it is. It just appears to me to be a kind of like, in order to retain our Spider-Man license, we just have to make a film of some description connected to the Spider characters in able to in order to keep our license. But and I can't understand how a studio like Sony can are happy to churn this out as a live action film coming not long after the you know the Morbius film which didn't get good reviews but then put out into the Spider-Verse and across the Spider-Verse which seemed to understand the characters and the multi-universal thing so it's like well surely if you've got that going on and they have alluded to the fact that, that across the Spider-Verse does connect with other movies because you had Donald Glover yeah. appear in a live action segment in across the, the Spider-Verse mm -hmm. so why not have the fact that Cassandra and her girls are in another part of the Spider Verse, and it does all connect, and they are part of the, that over, you know, that growing universe. Because we've we've established there are thousands upon thousands of Spider people. Well, as you said, as you mentioned earlier, there was lots of reshoots. What they were supposed to do was incorporate this into the Adam Garfield Spider Man universe. Okay. So it was supposed to part, form part of that one. Sorry, Andrew Garfield, not Adam Garfield. So it was going to do that, and then. Now they've decided to make it Tom Holland's Spider-Man, which is why they then moved it to 2003 and then like aged up the baby so it's appropriate for like when he comes into the MCU. But it just, yeah, it was just everything was bad, I think, apart from the soundtrack. I mean, we got Britney Spears' Toxic. It finished on the Cranberries. There was Four decent, blondes, yeah. yeah. Mystique. Mystique. <laughs> Mystique was in the... Yeah. So the pics of like pop from the 2003 I, era. I appreciated cool. that, but it's, yeah. But one pivotal scene plays out to Britney Spears' toxic, but it's actually like yeah. in detriment to that scene <laughs> more than anything else. But it's not so bad it's good. It's just so bad it's bad. Yeah. Oh, um, one question, because you obviously know the character in the comics better than me. Um, does she have powers where she can sort of semi-project her existence off into three different places at once? Not strictly. No. Uh, Not strictly. It, it seemed that that was an interesting part of the film. That well, seemed very. Uh, that sequence lasted sudden. thirty seconds of her doing like this astral projection, but being able to pick people up at the same time, whilst stood in front of Ezekiel, and he's just like there going, "Yeah, I'll give her five minutes." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then he just decides to punch her, and then it finishes. Yeah. I mean, she has telepathic abilities and yeah. and stuff as well, so she could potentially, you know communicate with people telepathically and do stuff like that but again in the comics she's she's a mutant and i guess that whether they can whether they even address that in the thing it's all just down to being born from a spider bite 
Yeah, it's it's she was born whilst her mum had was being injected with venom, basically. That, that's it. So is it like they watched The Last of Us and went, oh, we like that plot thread that, like, you know, if you get born at the same time as, like, your mother dies and, like, yeah. something weird's happened, you get all these weird abilities? In our friend Phil pretty much nailed it, and he said they could have done something like Edge of Tomorrow with this, and that would have been amazing. They could have had him live through the moment, she dies, resets back, something like that, and that's like checking out the multiple futures of what's mm -hmm. going on. And they tried to do it. It's just so ham-fisted the way they do it. just doesn't have any impact whatsoever. Does it descend into a CGI fight of some description at the end? No. No. There's, there's, well, <laughs> there's a little bit of CGI, but... It's not even a... I wouldn't even call it an action movie. There were action set pieces which are just bad. Mm. Yeah. Like, there's the one pivotal scene where, like, Emma Roberts is about to give birth to Peter. They're in a car. Adam's got driving her to the hospital. They get surrounded by six cars just on a street corner randomly. And it's like, you could tell the set was about this size. They, they got no budget. They blew up one car. <laughs> with, with a grenade that he'd... Presumably carried there, because I don't think his suit particularly had pockets, despite the fact that he had superpowers <laughs> that he was intending to use. But uh, one grenade, no yeah. more, just one. <laughs> just one, yeah, just one. Yeah. Well, you've got to be careful with grenades, haven't you, really? It's like, you know. Yeah. I think, to wrap this up, Matt, would you ever watch this film again? No. Sam, would you ever watch this film again? Not willingly. <laughs> Keith, are you ever going to watch this movie? Up. Uh, I might just do it if it when it turns up on Netflix. I've still got M Mobius in my queue, just out of curiosity to see how bad it is. So I might at some point when I haven't got to pay and I've not got anything else to do, possibly watch it. But I'm not, I'm not rushing out to see it at the cinema. I think it's that bad of a film. It's not even good bad enough to be like something like The Room. It's just it will be shelved quietly into the annals of. These are bad films. You mean there won't be a time where people are going to a, th a screening with grenades and throwing one <laughs> grenade or anything? Because you've, you've set that up. Are, are there any moments like that? You know, a baby, can they have a baby shower? Does anything happen in the baby so shower I, that everybody can no. do? I mean, even if you think about, like, The Flash, which is an awfully bad movie, it has the baby scene, which made it, like, so bad it's good. <laughs> this doesn't have anything. It's just... Bad. I, I know you've set, you've set up moments that you, you know at the Peruvian jungle bit everybody could throw spiders at the screen <laughs> a, there is a bit know. where they, we could release pigeons yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think with, we could, with a bit of time and effort we could uh, we could create a, a cult version of this movie where it's just about throwing stuff at the screen <laughs> yeah. I think we need to film Lee's live reaction to this movie we strap him to a chair <laughs> and make him watch Man and Web and just record his response <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like torture. That's just that's, oh, that's not good. It's just be like the scene in Clockwork Orange would leave. <laughs> so, so this is definitely not a recommend. No. Yeah. I would pay people not to see this. I'm hoping they do the meme thing again and get Sony to re-release it on a second run and nobody turns up to watch it again. Because yeah. it was it. It's not been out that long. It's been out what a week and a half. It came out on Valentine's Day for no particular reason. Yeah. But since our screen you, was one of the small screens and about there was 14, 15 people in there. Mm. Yeah. So it's the kind of film, if you were taking somebody to it on Valentine's Day, it meant you were breaking up. Yeah. 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 Or, or you were hoping for a Fifty Shades of Grey sequel. <laughs> <in there. laughs> yeah, so this doesn't bode well for the upcoming Craven oh, the Hunter movie then. If no. it's the same writing team for Craven, I would avoid... As much as human. Well, I think this one, this one's going for the more kind of like 
violent R-rated. Like this is, I think, their attempt at doing something like Deadpool, where it's all blood and gore and yeah. um, whatnot. Although they might, they might cut it back. They might trim it to a PG-13 yeah. rating at some point. But from the trailer of that, which they did release, I think they released the trailer for Craven before they released the Madam Web trailer, even yeah. though. It's going to release this later. I, I, even I think they pretty. Uh, they knew they had a stinker. I think, but uh, yeah, my my entire highlight of the the whole experience was the June True trailer. So we'll <laughs> leave it there. <laughs> the Embracer Group. Whether or not you've heard of it, it's basically a big, um, effectively game investment company publisher thing. Um, over the past few years, they've basically been buying up huge chunks of the industry. Um, effectively, they're like, if America has Microsoft and Asia has Tencent, Europe has Embracer. And that's pretty, basically all these companies are just swallowing up everything else. Um, but more recently, um, obviously last year we had a lot of issues with um, layoffs within the games industry, like I think tens, at least 10,000 people lost their jobs across the games industry, um, and which has continued into this year, unfortunately. Um, but at the pretty much at the heart of all of this, you have Embracer Group, who are one of the big ones doing a lot of these layoffs. Um, 14,000 people have been laid off um, since last year. Um, and the CEO, Lars Wingforce, has said that um, there will be more to come. And that layoffs are something everybody needs to get through. Um, because apparently some of the people he let go are his PR team, based on the fact that he's open, <laughs> the fact that, that he's openly saying like, you know, everyone needs to just get over it. And, and also um, what matters is shareholder value, nothing else matters. I'm just like, this goes, this should go through PR, but you've clearly sacked them all. <laughs> um, so just to remind me, Embrace Group started off as Nordic Games, and then they bought THQ, was it? Yes, they bought the sort of remnants of THQ. So when that went under, they bought up like the THQ name and a bunch of the franchises. And since then, they've been buying up a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I can't remember all the stuff that they bought. So now they bought Deep Silver. They bought Deep Silver. Um, they bought... Um, Squeenix Montreal. They bought, it was Crystal Dynamics, um, Square Enix, well, Eidos Montreal, which mm -hmm. was, was all from Square Enix. Yeah. Um, and Gearbox was bought by them, um, and there's a few other things. Yeah. Um, so we're talking some big franchises. Yeah, yeah. there's some big names, and also, like, there's a lot of stuff that they bought, which is a lot of, like, very dormant stuff that's just kind of sitting around, like, and obviously the big one that a lot of people were talking about is the fact they bought the Time, time Splitters license. Um, and reformed Free Radical Design. Well, they've now c closed Free Radical Design and cancelled Time Splitters um, as part of the 29 games that are currently being cancelled. Um, Volition has also been closed down by them. Um, well, makers of Saints Row. They've been around a long time, haven't they? Yeah. 30 plus years, I think, yeah. Volition have been around. So, obviously, like, you know, a lot of this is going on and. It sort of raised questions of like, why is this sort of suddenly happened? You know, why they sort of emerged out of seemingly nowhere, bought everything, and then just immediately collapsed in, in on themselves. Basically, the whole thing is just an investment racket. So um, they apparently were aiming to get a um, 
a, an investment from a big... Yeah. Well, initially they didn't say who it was that the deal fell through with, but The Verge did find out that it was the Savvy Games Group, which is connected to the Saudi Public Investment Fund. Um, and apparently it was something like $2 billion or something they were hoping to get from them. And it was like the reason they bought everything was to build up their portfolio. So it was worth $2 billion. Um, oh, but man. they hadn't secured the deal and it just kind of got, it, it collapsed, basically. So basically they went around and bought every independent studio they could get their hands on just so there was enough shareholder value to yes. get a big payout, yeah. like a VC company. Yeah, but because... Um, because of the way that the games industry has gone over the past couple of years and because of just sort of the general investment environment. So um, over the past couple of years, game sales have fallen from the peak that they're at. And also um, due to things like the cost of living crisis, interest rates around the world have shot up, which of course reduces investment and, and all that. So what you've got is Embracer now saddled with tons of debt and they're getting less money in. Well, I say they're getting less money in. In, within his whole thing about maximizing shareholder value, he did say, oh, we've had like record revenue or something like that. And it's like, well... Well, if you publish some of these games, you might get some more revenue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, this is the problem. And, um, but it's, it's kind of... It's interesting that everyone's kind of like focusing on Embracer so much. Because... Well, it's not just Embracer who have been on yeah. a massive buying spree, is it? Yeah. Like, as I mentioned, you've got Microsoft and you've got Tencent, like two of the big ones. Um, and in fact, like Microsoft um, have um, shown that they're probably just as bad as this because recently, obviously, with the Activision acquisition, they laid off, I can't remember how many people, but it was a lot from Activision. And from what I've heard, it was mostly back office stuff for Activision business. Yeah, because but, but of course, this is, this is a big part of why I opposed that whole deal in yeah. general because, well, this is going to happen because you're going to get the duplicate jobs on the back end and everyone's going to get fired. And yeah. it's it's still bad regardless. Yeah, you and know? a lot of community managers, unfortunately, yeah. lost their jobs, which yeah. is quite bad when you... But I think, but it also included like one of the co-founders of Blizzard, I think was let go. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, this is if this is what the acquisition was going to do, then what was the point of it? Yeah. Um, but obviously, you've got a lot of other companies making layoffs for similarly, like, because of stupid reasons that they've, like, Sony have done a bunch of layoffs, and that's because they've overinvested in VR, which you know the PSVR PSVR two costs as much as a PS five, um, and like I think the numbers for the PSVR on the PS four, like I think the um, sort of rate of adoption is like in the single digits, like compared to like number of people who own a yeah. PS4 versus own a, well, own a VR. So you think they would have learned from Microsoft with Connect because they had two bites of that charity. So they tried it with the original, well, it was the 360 the Connect came out. No, it was the... There was the 360. It was 360. the 360. They had two different versions of Connect. Yes, yeah, so they did so. the 360 and then they released the Xbox One. With Connect. Like with built Connect. In. But the thing is, like at the time that Connect was going on, Sony were also jumping on the like, oh, we need to do the yeah. Wii because they did the Move controllers, which yeah. have been turned into what is used for the PSVR. PSVR. Um, but also, you've got like EA and Sega have also had a lot of a lot of layoffs. I know that like I think Creative Assembly saw a lot of layoffs, and mm -hmm. I know Epic also did a lot of layoffs as well. 
Um, well, and I don't really know why, considering that it's basically they're making Fortnite money. So I think the problem is they've invested so heavily into the Epic Game Store and they're doing the free probably, game every single week. Yeah. And that must be hemorrhaging money for them, especially yeah. with the 12-month exclusivity deals. Yeah. And everybody's just gone back to Steam because it's the only store that yeah. actually cares about its yeah. customers. And though Valve aren't the best company in the world mm -hmm. and they have their own problems, please release episode three. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best interface. Everybody left Steam. So I think Ubisoft went away and built their own launcher. EA pulled out and built their own launcher. Um, which they've now gone back on. And everybody's <laughs> gone back to Valve and gone back to Steam because that's so you, where you Ubisoft go are hanging on. Yeah. They're desperately hanging on to their own launcher despite the fact that no one's using it. I think Far Cry 6 was on Steam, so I think most of the stuff are on. It just basically opens their launcher on the side of it. So mm -hmm. like, <laughs> you thought you got rid yeah. of this part of crap. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, I think it's kind of interesting because it, it speaks to a wide problem. Like I said, there was we've seen revenue decline within the games industry. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about that is when you actually look into it, um, you can kind of see that like all this overinvestment the companies were doing was just incredibly stupid. Yeah. And I would like to play a game of who's smarter than a CEO, <laughs> which is. So the reason why we've seen game revenues fall is because in 2020, um, game revenues skyrocketed. Did something happened. Something might have happened. Did something happened. And then in 2022, <laughs> those they fell back down. And if you look at the, the th if you skip 2020 and 2021, 2022 and 2023 are up from 2019. So it's still a steady growth, but you've got these two spikes. Now see if you can guess what happened. <laughs> I know what happened. Animal Crossing and the Doom release. <laughs> and they were the two biggest games and everybody just went wild for Doom and Animal Crossing well, for some you, reason. Well, you say Animal Crossing, but that actually is part of it. it you know, it is. Yeah, yeah. I think we all know. What, yeah. It, it, it's COVID. It's, it's you know, it's... It Every, yeah. <laughs> everyone was stuck indoors, and then you see the, ga the game revenues just spike because everyone's bored, everyone's stuck, everyone, and it's... You and know, now people can go out and yeah. enjoy the world. And I, I remember seeing so many companies, like, speaking breathlessly about, oh, look, how, look at the record sales we're making this year. Even at the time, I was like, yeah, because of COVID, everyone's stuck indoors. As mm. soon as lockdowns are lifted, it's going to go back to where it was. Mm -hmm. And it's astounding that not a single company seems to have adopted that same thinking. They just went, oh, record sales, let's invest, 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 put loads of money, just spend, 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 like take out all the loans in the world. And now it's effectively all crashed around them. And it's the workers who have to suffer for it. And this is like, you know, it kind of, yeah. it kind of speaks to like a wider problem of, of how capitalism is bad, basically. <laughs> It's because yeah. they've cancelled some fairly big games. I believe there was doing a Deus Ex sequel yes. that got binned. Yeah. And people really still like that franchise, weirdly, mm -hmm. even though it's been a long while since they get, that came out. You mentioned Time Splitters 3 or 4 or whatever number it was got cancelled. It's basically a new one, you know. Yeah. And then a load of other stuff. So Saints Row is pretty much dead as a franchise now. So, again, not the greatest seller of all time, but it did good numbers. I mean, the most recent one didn't, but then again, considering the direction they took it. Well, they rebooted it and got rid of all the fun stuff. Yeah. The whole point of Saints Row is it's GTA, but with the training wheels off and yeah. all the wacky stuff put in. Well, I think they kind of, with this one, they also kind of 
I think they hired writers who didn't know what comedy was, based on what I've seen. <laughs> Maybe they wrote the script to us. But yeah, I think it's, it's you know, we, we've got this going on and Embrace is like just kind of a symptom of this wider problem of just too many executives are running things from a perspective of like, we need to make short-term gains every quarter, mm. regardless of anything else, you know, and... It's not just the gaming industry, is it? It's, no. it's kind of, it's a global It just seems like uh, every CEO in existence has just gone, I need to accumulate wealth at whatever cost. Because mm-hmm. you look at what happened, is happening at the moment with the lunatic that's running Warner Brothers, and you yes. think, what are you doing? It's like, you know, I'm almost on the verge of just going, I'm just going to boycott all of your content because well, the, you, you're stripping stuff away uh, from platforms because you don't want anybody to see it. There's no physical media releases. I'm, so, an, I'm so annoyed about the Coyote versus Acme. Acme yeah, it's just like, I really want to see that movie. It, yeah. it was finished. It, it was yeah. ready well, to go. It's all done and dusted. Yeah. And they, I think it cost them 50 million to make. And then when they um, said, okay, I will entertain offers if anybody wants to buy it from us. Yeah. And then they went, yeah, but the minimum we'll take is 120. No. And mm-hmm. you no, know, other, yeah. other places are just going. We're not. We're not even going to yeah. do that because they cancelled the Batgirl movie. They've lost a lot of their old cartoon archive. Yeah, um, I, it, it, it's, it's it, been like a massive bonfire at Warner Brothers. Yeah, they're just they're just doing weird things. And Embrace is really weird as well because they recently acquired. I think it was two years ago, Dark Horse Media. Yes, which is kind of an offshoot from the comics side, which is kind of like art books. So they did they they put out all the kind of Zelda. Encyclopedias. They've done the art of mm-hmm. um, Cyberpunk 2027. Mm-hmm. They've done art books for kind of um, Avatar. They put out all, you know the collected editions for um, Hellboy and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you know Stranger Things. They've got lots of big licenses going out through Dark Horse, and it's, you just think, well, what's going to happen to yeah. all of that? Will that will that have an impact on that arm of the? There's a, there's a few industry? other, I think, non-gaming things they've bought as well. Like I think. Um, I remember, I think it's Asmondi, which I think is like the board game company. Um, I think they bought the Lord of the Rings license yeah. somewhere along the way as well. Yeah. So, you know, they've been buying up everything. Yeah, is that, is that why that kind of disappeared from the Warhammer? Yep. Kind of, yeah. But even then, Warhammer 40k, they're having their own issues as mm-hmm. well at the moment. With their... I mean, I mean, Games Workshop are still doing better than our entire fishing industry. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, I think they're... They've just re, re-released the classic Warhammer 40k set again, and there was a big controversy around that because it was basically. Well, I mean, they're also doing the the Power Wash collaboration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but they're also re-releasing um, old Warhammer fan- fantasy after doing Age of Sigmar, which is basically. That was that was there was a hard reboot, wasn't there? Basically? Yeah, but it was basically um, 40k gameplay in the old fantasy setting. But then they also just, in all the canon, just like basically killed everything. Did a whole like um, Disney with Star Wars thing. Um, and then they went, oh, actually, nobody like that. So let's bring back old Fantasy Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> but the, these CEOs just don't seem to be learning any lessons no. from kind of like what they're doing. It's like, well, why continue to pursue that route when the audience is 
and everybody else is going, no, this is a bad move. This is like, you know, and getting rid of all those developers is not good for the industry no. at all. It's well, like, the thing that I've noticed is that we don't see this coming from Japanese companies that much because like all the layoffs at Sega happened in America and in Europe. Um, but what's interesting is that like, Japan just as a culture doesn't really like layoffs. And, and yet all the Japanese games that have been coming out over the past couple of years, high reviews, high sales. Mm -hmm. Everyone, you know, just there's top quality. Like recently, someone brought up the fact that the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth team is a, the exact same team as Final Fantasy VII Remake. Like no one's been moved elsewhere. It's just that continuation. That, Currently, got and the reviews have just come out. It's a ninety-three percent on well, Metacritic. Consistency and quality is yeah. That's what. And they're want. not rush releasing it either. They're not going. Oh, it's been like four years. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, they're, not, they're not. You know, they're not crunching those. Yeah, but I think if there's any silver lining from this, it's we might get some fantastic indie games. Yeah, I think we are seeing a shift. Um, just from the start of the year, we've seen like quite a few sort of surprise hits that have come from places that like people just did not expect. Like Pal World yeah. was like a big one. You had um, Helldivers Two has been massive. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that's taken over. Everything yeah, like one. I did not expect that to happen. Like <laughs> you know, when I saw all the trailers and stuff, like yeah. in the state of plays and stuff, I thought, well. The original Helldivers wasn't that big. It's it's going to get like a niche audience, but I don't I, I don't see why Sony are investing so much money in this. And then think, suddenly it just exploded. I think they picked up a lot of people who wanted like ODST from Halo because that's basically what the game is to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. It's like here's Halo ODST without the license, but you drop from a spaceship and then and blow stuff up. Your your recent game of the week, that uh, Pacific Drive. Mm -hmm. I've just seen everybody just going, "Oh my god, that's this is one. just." Like, I, I expected to go, mm, it's okay, I might play it for a bit. And not everybody's gone, I'm so invested in my car. It's like, mm -hmm. if anything ever happens to that, I'm going like, to be really upset. So initially, when I first saw the trailers for it, I saw, like, oh, it's kind of like a horror game kind of thing, but you're in a car, that seems interesting, I'm interested. A few weeks ago, they sort of revealed that, like, it had a lot of roguelike elements, a lot of survival elements, and I immediately went, oh. <laughs> and then I got a review code for it, and... I've been playing through it for like the past week and a half or so, and I was like, "This is really good." Like, like I this whole like by the time that this goes out, my review will also be out. And in that review, I state that um, there are effectively three elements: there's driving, there's roguelike, there's survival, and at least two of those elements I view cynically. And yet, <laughs> somehow I end up really liking it. But, you know, we're seeing a lot of shift in, in this. We've also got, yeah. like, last year we had Baldur's Gate 3. Kind yeah, Larian Studios, tiny little studio compared to... And we're seeing a lot of talk from these successful studios that's calling out what's going on with the AAA space, what's going on with the CEOs. Because Larian recently accepted a DICE award where they basically just went layoffs about the industry in their acceptance speech and basically just like everyone else is doing things badly we're doing things right and if you're and they're in a position to be that confident yeah. and that cocky well, better if I, if I look at the biggest latest AAA flop we've just got to look at Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League which come from a very well renowned studio with yep. Rocksteady who did three fantastic Arkham Asylum games and then this license is just well, this is the thing, like CEOs are like, oh, we've got to invest in live services. We've got to invest in like doing things this way and doing things this way. All people wanted was Rocksteady to make another Arkham style game. Yeah. That's all they wanted. 
And if Suicide Squad had been more like Arkham and been more faithful to the characters, because I've heard a lot of things about how the characters are not faithful at all, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure Keith's got some opinions on that. Yeah. There's, um, a, there's a lot of chatter because it's Kevin Conroy's last ever Batman yeah. performance. Yeah, and, and they do not do good by that. Yeah. that not at all. And But yeah, it's been a massive flop. Like its player count has, has dwindled, and even then, it hasn't. Even at its best, it hasn't sold very and it, well. And it had problems of on release as well. It looked straight yeah. away the problems mm-hmm. with. The, well, some people just logged on it that were a hundred percent completion, even though they hadn't even oh, yeah. touched the game. I so they got that. like the end sequence, the, the, the launch gl- launch glitch that basically like you launch the game and you've beaten it. which is always good it's just like when like the game basically tells you like don't even bother (laughs) I think they were just trying somebody at the dev squad was just like let's just save everybody the pay (laughs) oh you don't and I I do feel sorry for the actual developers because they have to sort of put up with all this and they have to well I'm assuming it's going to have an impact on yeah, I mean, we've yeah. already brought up the CEO of Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, you know, we can see this kind of it's going to happen. Down, yeah, it? So. I just think that, that until they that, that until they, they financially are impacted to a certain extent, that they that they they won't pay any attention to no. what well, needs to well, be done. The problem is anything like a live service game that would have been thought of four years ago, and. Any changes now are going to take at least two to three years in the industry yeah. because the nature of game development now, it's not a yeah. year one release, it's a full development cycle over four to five years. Well, the whole thing with the Warner Brothers is like, God damn you, it's like, I want to boycott your stuff, but June 2's out next week. It's like, <laughs> okay, soon as June's over, yeah, once, we're good. Yeah, so it's like, because I kind of don't, I don't want to encourage them by going, I'm going to support you as a, a company when you are trashing creatives left, right, and center, regardless of the quality of the material they're making. They have put heart and soul into make it, and we as an audience have should have the opportunity to decide for ourselves whether we want to play it or watch it. Yeah. You know, and we should at least be given that choice, not not got not told. Oh, we made this stuff, but we just can't be bothered to show it yet. So yeah. we're we're taking again, it away, and you can't have it again. Anyway. That priority versus acne thing. I hadn't heard of it until it got cancelled, and as soon as I heard of it, I was like, "This is the greatest crime. Yeah. <laughs> I need to see this movie immediately." Yeah. <laughs> so, to, so to wrap it up, do you think we're at the kind of end of the layoffs, or do you think there's much more to come? We're probably going to see a few more coming over the coming months, especially because we're still not at the end of the financial year. So we're going to see companies just doing like last minute ones to just make their shareholders happy right mm-hmm. at the end of the financial year. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we are going to long term see a bit of a shift. I think just off the back of things like Larry and, and the Helldiver studio, because that's another CEO who's just being blunt as hell and it's so refreshing. Uh, we've also got the fact that you've got Remedy, who even though Alan Wake 2 hasn't like been hugely profitable, um, they're seeing it long term and they're like it will be profitable within a couple of months so we're happy with it so i think if we start seeing more of that going on we'll start seeing a bit of a shift especially if more things like suicide squad start failing and big companies start realizing oh we can't keep operating like this because everyone's going to that stuff over there (laughs) well i'm sure call of duty 655 and f1 or what was the Premier League, whatever football game that is, that'll still be out anyway for those kind of audiences. I think it's EA Sports FC or whatever it is now. Yeah. Because they don't have the FIFA license. They don't have the FIFA license anymore, yeah. Who are you? I am Stacey. I'm the host of Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour podcast and the co-host of Never Seen... 
why am I having to think about this? Stace and Barry in the morning and podcast in a half shell. I do too many podcasts because I am a podcast heart. What do you do in real life? In real life, I am a engagement and communications lead for Birmingham Community Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust General Charity or BCHC Charity for short because that is too long. So I spend a lot of time getting NHS staff to spend charitable funds and then bang on about them at everybody. What got you into being a geek? I think I've always been a geek. Uh, some of my earliest memories are of me either buried in nerdy books or uh, parked in front of the TV for cartoons. But I think it really kicked into like 12th gear when I met my then boyfriend, now husband, back in 2005. And he threw some comics at me and then I just got absolutely hooked and uh, yeah, became a massive nerd, started listening to podcasts and started podcasting myself because I love talking about nerdy waffle i almost swore then because i forgot to check whether i was allowed to or not what is your favorite geek franchise um if anybody's seen the like visual of where i'm currently sitting which is directly in front of a massive ninja turtle shrine then uh you will already know but if the, if you're hearing this audially then uh, yeah it's teenage mutant ninja turtles i am a massive turtles <laughs> <laughs> didn't try not to swear for very long uh absolutely love them the only tattoo i have is a turtles tattoo and yeah i'm a bit bananas for them delightful little shelly boys what streaming show are you binge watching now oh well i actually just finished binge watching a big old rewatch of bob's burgers which is like one of my favorite shows ever it is brilliant i mean if if you haven't heard of it by now i'd be a little bit worried about <laughs> your general life uh but if you haven't it's about a family of people who run a burger restaurant it's really really funny and it's got h john benjamin in it who is class and i love him he's got one of the best voices ever if there is one film or tv show you would tell someone to watch what would it be severance I am obsessed with Severance. It's uh, an Apple TV show that came out, I think it was either last year or the year before, starring uh, Adam Scott and Britt Lower. And it is sci-fi and a little bit thrillery and a bit psychological. Ooh, ah, what's going on, lads? And it is so magnificent absolutely tremendous can't say enough good things about it absolutely livid that all the strikes last year have delayed season two for like a good year but i the anticipation for season two is ludicrous in our house i am very much looking forward to that what is your snack of choice snack of choice is always going to be cool original doritos and i am on record on the bbc as saying that in an episode of horizons so uh you can fact check that it is a true fact about me <laughs> what is one game you reckon you can beat the geeky rummy team at have you ever played tetrasphere which is tetris but on a globe <laughs> Uh, I have a lot and I'm quite good at it actually uh, I'm bad at regular games but I'm quite good at things that are like Tetrisy, you know Buster Movie Puzzle Bubbly so yeah one of the, one of those sorts of things I've got the top score on Buster Move in uh, NQ64 in Birmingham 
or I did have last time I went. <laughs> Probably not anymore. And yes, I did put my name in as ass just in case anybody was wondering. Who would you like to interview for your podcast that you have not interviewed yet? I would love to get Ben Schwartz on the show. Um, I'm a huge fan of his comedy, his improv, uh, many of his acting things. I say many because I haven't seen all of them. Uh, love his voice work. Obviously, he does Sonic the Hedgehog and everything. And I just think he'd be a really laid back and fun dude to talk to which would make me feel comfortable because I'm terrified of talking to strangers. <laughs> Where can we find you online? I am pretty much everywhere at Stacey's Parlour, Stacey with an E, Parlour with a U for American listeners. Uh, and uh, you can email me at stacysparlour at gmail.com. Goodbye. Thank you for having me. The BAFTAs were awarded recently, uh, so we're going to have a little look through uh, who won, uh, who didn't win, and what our predictions are for what that might mean for the Oscars. Uh, so, I, I suppose if we uh, maybe go through the, the big categories first of all, so shall we start off with uh, Best Film, the uh, <laughs> uh, really big one. Um, so, uh, Best Film at the BAFTAs was won by Oppenheimer. Um, what do we think? Keith, I'll start <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I can see why they gave it an award. I don't think it was the best film in that ca in that category. But you love Chris okay. Nolan. <laughs> I, I think I, I think he's a, a, a mitigated genius. Um, there, was, there was a lot more interesting films in that category. I, I, overall, I thought Oppenheimer was it was okay. You know, it wasn't great, and I, I have some objections against, against uh, uh, over its other wins at um, Bafta's. Um, but again. It's a it's a British director. I can you know I can just see why they've they've voted the way they voted. Um, yeah. Personally, I would have liked to have seen something like Anatomy of a Fall or Poor Things win, just because they're more interesting films and are trying to do something a little bit more interesting um, with with their subject matter and the way they present stuff. Um, so kind of yeah, I can see why it won. But yeah, I I think I generally agree. It's I, I did. I loved Oppenheimer. I, uh, I, I would say I'm probably a bigger fan of Christopher Nolan than you are, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I did think it was an incredibly well-made film. Uh, I don't think it doesn't deserve it, put it that way. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I would have liked to have seen Poor Things win as well. Um, uh, and as, I suppose looking ahead to the Oscars, uh, we'd probably have a similar kind of battle. So the uh, Nominees, if I just uh, find them. Sorry, it's in alphabetical order on here rather than <laughs> big ones first. So let me just, there we go. So, nominees for the Oscar for Best Movie are uh, American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fool, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and Zone of Interest. So, I suppose the question is. Does the BAFTA win increase the already fairly high chances of Oppenheimer winning the Oscar, or is it likely to go to something else? I, I always have, have the opinion that the, the Oscar voters will do something weird, because the, 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 the BAFTAs have gone a different way quite recently, quite a lot. Yeah, so as, again, as someone who follows the BAFTA Game Awards, that always like drastically shifts from like Dice and yeah. Jeff Keighley's 
uh, some uh, Winterfest. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, although it's kind of American history, Oppenheimer's a you know a kind of big part of, of American history. It's still quite a contentious part of American history. Mm-hmm. And but then saying that, I'm not so sure that the Academy are going to go for anything else. In the, you know, there's a lot of good films in there, American fiction, holdovers, Barbie, you know, Poor Things, um, Zone of Interest, all those. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I have an inkling they might go for something more American-friendly. So yeah. uh, at the moment, I'm a little bit... I think I'm, on my Oscar predictions, I have got Oppenheimer down as winning. Well, I, what well, I find interesting about the Oscars, though, is like for years I kind of like wrote a lot of it off because it seemed like they just always picked like the same kind of three types of films for a while. But the past few years, they've kind of shifted a bit because you had stuff like Parasite, you had stuff like Everything Everywhere All at Once. They kind of just feel like shape they, of water for a, yeah. You know, nobody would have predicted they that. They kind of came. They kind of came out yeah. of nowhere and it kind of just swerved off from what you'd expect. And I think so. I think it's difficult to kind of say where they. So that's why I think maybe Oppenheimer won't win because yeah. it feels too obvious. Yeah, I, I think my prediction for this one is probably going to be poor things. It wouldn't at all surprise me if it's Oppenheimer, uh, but I think it's like you were saying. It's it's just quirky enough to. Uh, to sort of stand out without mm. feeling like it's uh, like a complete curveball. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, deep down, I'd love it to be Barbie. Uh, I, well, would, I, I, I kind of want it to it. be. Like, I don't think it will be because I think they're probably going to be like, oh, well, it's too commercial yeah. or whatever. It's based on a toy, like all, you know. Yeah. But I can see that, like I said, I think something like Poor Things probably could take it. I think the trouble with Barbie is uh, they had so much backlash over not nominating it for actress or director yeah mm. uh, if they give it best film it's it would be a double slap in the face <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it would feel like they're kind of capitulating to the backlash rather than awarding it for its merit run yeah but that that oscars you know that's the, the way they've operated over the last few years you know there's been a backlash so they've changed how they pivoted how they vote in the next year and then whatever happens so they're an, impredict- they're an unpredictable bunch. But then they also do things like, you know, we're going to move Best Actor so we can give it to Chadwick Boseman and then we're going to give it to Anthony Hopkins, who's in bed. <laughs> and that's going to be the last award of the night. <laughs> uh, well, moving on to Best Actor, I suppose. Okay. Uh, so, Killian Murphy uh, won, obviously, for Oppenheimer at the BAFTAs, um, which I think was quite a deserving win. Um, I do like Killian Murphy. I think he's, he's great in everything. Uh, it's quite rare for him to play a leading role in a big, big film like that. So it's nice that he's sort of had the excuse to get the recognition that I think has been quite a long time coming. I think we've also got like an ev- evidence of it being like the kind of, I say British, <laughs> uh, yeah. bias that the BAFTAs would have, yes. where we've kind of claimed the Irish as, as our, <laughs> like as we've historically done. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't won over by his performance. Mm-mm. In that, but again, it was another weird category because I don't know anybody who'd seen Coleman Domingo's Rustin. It's like nobody's seen that movie, so it seemed a bit of a weird inclusion um, in there. And I, I didn't think the, I didn't think not the nominations in the category for the Baftas were that brilliant, really. There, you know, there's some good performances there, past lives, um, you know. But again, Barry, Barry uh, Keegan <laughs> for Saltburn, it's like. 
if you just nominate him because of that scene, you know, is that you just, <laughs> well, you did that for your art, so we're going to acknowledge it, you know. Um, so I, I didn't think it was a great category in terms of the, of the winners. I can see what, again, I can see, you know, it's a big bravado film, you know, a big grandstanding performance of, of stuff, but I didn't think it was particularly subtle or nuanced in any way. He kind of just stood there looking off into the middle distance often going, oh my God, I'm a white man with multiple mistresses and my life is so bad, <laughs> you know, it just seemed a bit, a bit kind of, didn't lack, it, I didn't feel any particular emotional depth into a man who went on to say the classic quote of, you know, destroyer of worlds. I didn't feel that conflict of somebody who just went, wow, I've really screwed the world over now with this. It's like, what, what have I done? I didn't, I didn't really get that from him. It, it kind of seemed as if he was running through 28 days later again, but you know. I, I just seem to be very down on these categories. I, I think the problem we're going to have with this segment is a lot of stuff is going to be talking about Oppenheimer. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, so for the Oscars, uh, the nominations are, as you said, Carmen Domingo for Rustin, uh, Killian Murphy again for Oppenheimer, Bradley Cooper for Maestro, uh, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Um, I, I suspect it's going to go Killian Murphy's way again, but a person I'd quite like to see it go to Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. He was fantastic in American fiction. Um, yeah. uh, I wouldn't be upset if it went to Paul Giamatti either. Um, I could see the I could see the Academy going for Paul Giamatti. Yeah. Um, holdovers, I think, seemed to sort of come from nowhere a bit, but was just a lovely, sort of sweet Christmassy film. Um, it does say a lot that I've, I have not seen any of these. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think that's the one thing that might uh, give Paul Giamatti some trouble is I don't think enough people went to see The Holdovers. No. Um, I'm not sure. I know many people, uh, apart from sort of big film fans who will go and see as much as they can, who, who went to see it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Best Actress, uh, we had Emma Stone win the BAFTA for Poor, Poor Things, uh, which I'm not upset by at all. I think that was very deserving. Yeah, I think it was, it was a shoo-in really almost. And I think it will be a shoo-in at the um, Oscars as well. I do still need to see that. Like it looks like I think I saw the trailers for it and was like I don't know what this is and it, and it confuses me. But now I'm just like no, but I probably should see it for that reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I think I'll, my only problem with that movie is we'll wait until we get to the best supporting actor category, okay. <laughs> and then I will say why why I don't think there's a certain actor who shouldn't be nominated for that. But I think Emma Stone's got it all tied up for that. I think so. Yeah. So just running through quickly, the other ones were Annette Bening for Nyad, uh, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fool, and Carrie Mulligan for Maestro. Um, I still haven't seen Maestro. I couldn't tell you anything about Nyad. Uh, uh, Sandra Huller was great in Anatomy of a Fool. I think she's probably the only one that might stand a vague chance. Although, although I could see the Academy going with Lily Gladstone. And that's what I was going to say. I think it feels like... Potentially. You know, the, the optics of it mm. are good for them, so I can see them kind of steering in that direction. Yeah. yeah. As, as there's probably, I don't imagine that that film will pick up any other... any other no. Oscars in any other category, really. No, probably not. Okay, so supporting actor. Uh, the BAFTA went to Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. <laughs> um, uh, and then 
the Oscar nominations, uh, we have uh, Danny Jr. again, Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. If they give that to Ryan Gosling, the the backlash is going to be ferocious. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm here for it, though. Yeah. I, so I want... I, I'm, not, I'm not Ryan Gosling's biggest fan, although I've my favourite movies of him are as a plastic man and a robot. <laughs> but I would love for them, him to get that. I, this is the thing. I I absolutely agree. He basically can't win it because the backlash would be so yeah. bad. And just... It, it, it would be as if they were watching Barbie but not absorbing what Barbie's about mm-hmm. at all. They've got, they, patriarchy, that's good, isn't it? And we've got horses, so yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I do think, though, it's a shame because he's not, he wouldn't be an undeserving winner. No, <laughs> like, it's, it's a great performance yeah. in yeah, a great, so in I, a great I, film. I haven't seen Barbie, but like I've seen like clips of him and like before then I kind of had this sort of impression of Ryan Gosling being kind of a bit flat, a bit boring. Saw his performance in that and I was like, oh no, he's he's like properly leaning into this and it's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to see the fall guy now. It's like, oh my God. Um, Mark Ruffalo should not be in that category whatsoever because although his performance is fine, just, he was in uh, the, the Light We Cannot See Netflix TV series by Stephen Knight and I've convinced myself, just Mark, do not do accents. You, you can't do them. Just stick with your own voice. It's fine. We'll let it go. But don't do accents because you're not good at it. I, I quite enjoyed his performance in Poor Things, but I, I would be surprised if he's yeah. winning this one. I do think this one's slightly more open. Um, it, again, it wouldn't surprise me if Robert Downey Jr. wins it, but I wouldn't mind seeing it go to Sterling K. Brown as well. well he, he wasn't. Yeah, American fiction. I mean, the Oscars haven't really gone for that big, like, something winning everything in a few years. So no. I'd, I'd be surprised if Oppenheimer did that clean sweep. I can see they did, yeah. they do, you know, director, film, lead actor. I can see them getting that. But I think when we start to get to the other categories, I think you go, go a little get, bit against them. Yeah. So supporting actress, uh, the BAFTA went to Divine Joy, uh, sorry, Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers, uh, which, again, quite happy with. Um, uh, the other nominees for the Oscars uh, are Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks for The Colour Purple, America Ferreira for Barbie, and Jodie Foster for Nyad, plus Divine Joy Randolph again. I think Divine's got it. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I did quite like Dan- Danielle Brooks in The Colour Purple. I yeah. like Danielle Brooks in everything she does. <laughs> yes. She's brilliant. Yeah. It, I, part of me just wants her to win because it'll be a win for someone who was in pe- uh, Peacemaker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd just love to see <laughs> her acceptance great. speech as well. But yeah, that would be great. Yes, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so, director. Um, again... Christopher Nolan won for Oppenheimer at the Bar- uh, BAFTAs. And then he said the Barbie sin, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a Freudian slip there, I think. Um, uh, so if I can just find it on here. So uh, he's obviously nominated, uh, nominated again for the Oscar. Uh, plus we have uh, Justine Trier for Anatomy of a Fool, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things, and Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest. I wouldn't be surprised again if this goes to Christopher Nolan. Um, 
it feels like the Academy are going to want to give him something at this point. Yeah, um, we've seen the pictures of you, Christopher, with that giant IMAX camera over somebody's head. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's proper cinema. I mean, interestingly, <laughs> I was surprised that Jorgis didn't get a nomination in the BAFTAs for Best, for, yeah. for best Director, which is a bit of like... I couldn't quite see how they justified that, considering how well the film did in every other category that was there. Um, I'd like it not to go Christopher Nolan, just so that he doesn't become the most insufferable, <laughs> pretentious filmmaker in history. Um, Jorgis would be cool. Jonathan Glazer would be cool. But, but the thing I is, though, Christopher Nolan, he's like the big name... They've never given him an Oscar before, have they? No. Um, yeah, so they've not given it, and it's a historical epic yeah. that he's done, so it's sort of like, oh, now it feels like time. Maybe we should just give him one. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. then we don't have to give him another one, and we can stop. Uh, yeah. And then stop we can have three him. years of him going, oh, am I going to do Bond? Am I not going to do Bond? <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, animated feature film. Uh, so. We were saying before we uh, recorded this one, might be quite an interesting one. Uh, so the BAFTA went to The Boy and the Heron. Um, the other nominees for the Oscars are Elemental, Nimona, Robot Dreams, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It's kind of interesting that like this is the first category where I've seen two films. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen The Boy and the Heron and I've seen Nimona. So. Okay. Um, I'm really happy Nimona is in, in there. I would be surprised if it wins. Uh, right, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but great to see it being recognised. Um, Elemental, I'm also quite happy as in there. Uh, Pixar are great. I think this was, I think this deserved better than it did. Um, uh, I, I thought it was a, a very enjoyable film. I, I've never even heard of Robot Dreams. Um, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's not been released in the UK yet. Okay, so I right. think it's it's coming up this week next week it's a quirky kind of 2d animation you know it looks it looks sweet and charming and nothing is is it would be a great film to see i don't think it's quite oscar winning material yeah I think this, it's, I this think feels it's, like the sort of we've, we've put a left field one in there just yeah. to sort of show that we're, we're aware that it's not just disney and ghibli yeah. <laughs> Anim animators are artists and yeah we've got this nice kind yeah. of really well done i think it's a two horse race between boy and the heron and uh, across the spider-verse yeah, and I I'm agree. kind. I'm just thinking because of what the film signifies and where Miyazaki is in, in his career and the kind of history of the, of, of, the, of the Academy that they'll probably give it. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful looking film. I didn't think it was his best work. I think it was a bit of a hodgepodge of kind of mm -hmm. greatest hits elements of it and didn't really hold together narratively as a whole. Okay, so I, I, I think I enjoyed the, the parakeets yes. just as characters, but. <laughs> But yeah, it is kind of a bit all over the place. So. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it went to, to that. Mm. It, across the Spider-Verse, yeah, it's, it's if it, great. If it was me personally, I would give it to Nimona, but it isn't winning. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's going to be one of the two. Um, I, I don't hugely mind either way. Uh, I, I do agree it's not Miyazaki's best film, but it was a lovely film. Um, across the Spider-Verse was... I, said in the Christmas episode it was one of my cinema highlights of last year I'd be very happy if that wins uh, but it's the previous Spider-Verse film won one there's one more to go <laughs> if they want to give it another one uh, and I'm sure that's going to be amazing as well so uh, yeah um, yeah it's going to be an interesting one but I, I suspect you're right and it's going to go to um, 
put in the hearing. Uh, so that brings us into some of the more technical ones. Uh, so we'll just very quickly run through uh, some of these. Um, so BAFTAs gave uh, original score to Oppenheimer. Uh, Visual effects to poor films. Every time you say Oppenheimer, I'm straight. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see his reaction every single time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, let's, let's, say, let's go with visual effects uh, for our next one. So that went to poor things for the BAFTA, but I don't believe uh, it's been nominated. In no, it hasn't. Um, so Although Godzilla Minus One has. It has, yeah. <laughs> so there we know your choice then. <laughs> So, I, just just because of the nature and the, of what they did with that film and the budget they had and the resources they had, just to just to appreciate the artistry that went into that movie, I imagine it'll go to the creator. So yeah, the, the nominees are creator Godzilla minus one, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, Mission Impossible, and Napoleon. Um, creator was all about the visual effects. That was the main reason for seeing the film in the end. I think. Yeah. Um, or, although if, if the, the Academy Awards people don't like horses, it could go to Napoleon. <laughs> um, so there's that. There is that, yeah. That took me a second to understand what you were saying. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, be very happy if it went to Godzilla as well. But oh, yeah. I'd be ecstatic if it went to Godzilla <laughs> and I would be all over their acceptance speech. <laughs> yes. uh, writing, um, adapted screenplay, uh, went in the BAFTAs to uh, American fiction. Um, deservedly so, I think. Uh, the other nominees uh, are Zone of Interest, Poor Things, Oppenheimer, and Barbie uh, for the Oscars. I'd be really happy for this to go to American fiction again. I think it was a really well-written film. And uh, if it doesn't get Best Actor, I feel like this is... Yeah, this was another one where they, like... That had a bit of controversy because just Barbie being put there as an adapted screenplay is is an odd one because yeah. technically it's based on a thing, but it's it is an original story. Yeah, so. it's, yeah. <laughs> it's an adapted property. Yeah, yeah, but it's not it's not the, it's the story, story didn't exist is, elsewhere. Yeah. Oh, it might have done some some two kids somewhere. Yeah, might have done it, so, yeah. You know, oh my my children did this. I've, ad I've adapted yeah. it to a film. Yeah, I don't. I'd be good to, for American fiction to win it so that film gets some kind of acknowledgement. Yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe it'll be somewhere else. And then uh, original screenplay. Uh, the BAFTA went to Anatomy of a Fool, um, which has also been nominated for the Oscar alongside The Holdovers, Maestro, May December, and Past Lives. But but to counterpoint Lee in that category in the BAFTAs. Original screenplay, that's where Barbie won. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. what do these Americans know about anything? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what do we think with this one? Uh, Anatomy of a Fall again? It was very well written. <sighs> I, yeah, I think it probably will. Yeah. I, the holdovers, I'd be very happy to see it win as well. Past Lives could be in for a shot too. But. Yeah. I'd like, I think Pastelovitz would be a good, a worthy winner. I just don't think it will win. That's the only thing. I mean, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good film, and it's. I think it's on Netflix now. So if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, it's one one of the few. I think that and Maestro are the only ones I've not seen of the, the yeah. sort of big best picture nominees, um, and I think they're both on Netflix. So. Uh, yeah, and then um, 
I think the final one I just want to mention quickly is uh, the foreign film, which I suspect is definitely going to zone of interest, as it did in the BAFTAs. Um, uh, and I suspect that's going to get sound as well. That is a horrible but incredible <laughs> film. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know, because sound's gone to completely wrong films in the past few years at the Academy. Um, so they've made some bizarre choices. So I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't go to, z to zone of interest. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, um, Oscars are March 10th, I believe. Yeah. Um, and, and don't don't have awards for casting, guys. We need stunt <laughs> team awards soon, please. So it's the start of 2024 and we're in Birmingham. So I've put together a little bit of a shifty of what is coming up in Birmingham. Um, over the first part of the year, with geeky events, uh, conventions, things for your diary, um, I've kind of got a few little categories. So starting off with gaming and esports, we have the return of Insomnia Gaming Festival. This is, I want to say, it's like the 15th year it's, or so. Yeah, it's usually over Easter weekend, isn't it? Yeah, so it's coming to us at the 29th of March to the 1st of April. This is everything gaming. So it's basically one of the largest LAN festivals, I think, in Europe, actually. And it's over the years expanded to be gaming related as well so lots of different um expos things to do activities as well as the core concept of LAN. Um, one thing i'm really excited for is the return the triumphant return of esl1 birmingham the dota major um, ESL One. It first came to Birmingham in 2018, and it was one of the most successful Dota Two majors in history, um, and still remains like that today. But then COVID gave it a massive kick in, so it's really good to see it coming back. Um, Starts to be at the NEC in April, 22nd of April to 28th of April, and watch out on the Geeky Bromley channels because I'll be gushing all over it. Um, and another return is VS Fighting. 12. So VS Fighting again is one of the largest beat em up um, esports tournaments in Europe, and that's coming back to us in August, late August, early September at Millennium Point in Birmingham. A couple of things. So, convention wise, this is one that um, Keith might be interested in. We've got the Edge Baston Comic Con and Toy Fair, that's in 3rd of March at um, Edgebuster Stadium. We've also got the Birmingham Comic and Science Fair on the 16th of March. So next month is going to be quite good um, for comic and sci-fi nerds. We've also got the return of Megacon, which is essentially a massive conglomerate of several smaller cons that have now all come together. Um, that's your anime, gaming, manga, comics, all rolled into one. Um, we're also seeing the return of MCM Birmingham Comic Con, which is always a massive staple, um, I think, in the UK calendar, really, I'd say. Yeah, it's one of the biggest. Out, yeah, outside of London, it's one of the biggest. Um, and also the return of UK Games Expo, again in May, so end of May, start of June. 
uh, UK Games Expo, that's everything to do with board games, board games, card games, trading games, all sorts of things. Um, and also really good for lots of gaming tournaments as well. I, I fully intend to go to that. 100%. Um, and it's... I just want to say it's probably one of the most influential that we've got in the UK at the moment as far as that kind of convention goes. Mm-hmm. It's a great one to see loads of new stuff coming up that you wouldn't send. Yeah. Well, pretty much everything, every single gaming cafe goes there. <laughs> so what games are going to pick up for the next year? So it's good. I think they do a lot of previews as well of games coming up and playtesting. Playtesting, I think, is the big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of other anime cons. We've got the anime con, 15th, 16th of June. We've also Tickets have just gone on sale this week at the time of recording. They have so. just gone on sale. You're absolutely right. Gold star. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've also got the Anime and Gaming Con, which is 3rd to the 4th of August. And then lastly, to wrap up this section, another one for Keith, Collector Mania 28 Film and Comic Con, happening at the NEC at the end of August, start of September. Can I add another thing to the anime selection? You absolutely can. Which is the Birmingham Anime Film Festival, which is returning for 2024. Keep an eye on the website, BAF.UK. You see, you jumped the shark then, because my next section was film and culture. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of does both. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. There's um, no harm plugging it twice. No harm plugging <laughs> it twice. But can I just say as well, it was the inaugural festival was a major success. Mm-hmm. Really so... Overwhelmingly positive feedback from everyone. Yep. Sold out quite a lot in everything that was done. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to add to that, we've also got some staples returns, things like Flatpak Film Festival. So, lots of independent and interesting films happening across Birmingham in loads of independent um, venues. We've also got... Um, Two city centre festivals, which are quite close to my heart. That's the Jewelry Quarter Festival happening in July. That's a lot of designer maker, um, cultural, lots of music, lots of food. And then Colmore Food Festival, which is, again, a really good one for anyone who wants, uh, who's a massive foodie and wants to know more about what Birmingham has to offer. And then, as you already said, the fantastic Birmingham Anime and Film Festival. Yes. So it's a slightly different setup this year as well, so... Give it a le- bit of a leak on news. So we're swapping from just being over one week to three weekends. So it'll be probably the last two weekends of September, the first weekend of October. But we'll be running from Thursday to Sunday, both at the Mac and the Mockingbird Cinema, plus some other venues to be announced. So keep readers peeled. And there'll be some satellite events coming up across the spring and summer as well. So, yeah, keep your eye on the Bath UK website and there'll be lots of information coming up there soon. Yeah, for those of you who missed it, some of the uh, satellite events were screenings in things like the Botanical Gardens, mm-hmm. which was very, very popular as well. There's my neighbour Totoro, which was just the perfect mm-hmm. venue for that film. It was brilliant. Yeah. So wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> Although it was the first time I watched through My Neighbour Totoro and go, actually, this it just ends. It's very short. <laughs> yeah. It just, yeah, it just ends. And I'd never really clocked that before. <laughs> Well, mom comes home. That's all it needs to do. It's, mm-hmm. it's a nice wrap up. So, mm-hmm. so side note, going back to like the the fighting tournament, 
I would like to raise a question. Why does it have Tekken 7 and not 8? <laughs> it's a very good question. <laughs> um, sometimes it's purely because the gaming sort of rules haven't been that established around it. Mm. So things like um, Super Smash Bros, um, they had to abandon one of Super Smash Bros. I want to say, not Melee, the one after that. Ultimate. Was it Ultimate. Ultimate. Me- Ultimate's the last one, so... Yeah, so it, it, it Melee Brawl. Brawl, yeah. And then you had Smash Brawl. Brawl and Ultimate. Yeah, so. the Wii U one, purely because there was a trip mechanic which would just put oh, some yeah. unnecessary RNG in it, which yeah, just yeah. ruined everything. That's Brawl. That's definitely Brawl. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's a good question. I'd probably say it's probably because they haven't established um, tournament rules okay. or because it's still quite new. Um, but yeah. <laughs> It's just because I've been playing a lot of Tekken 8, so I was just like, oh, I wonder if that's it. <laughs> I've not really heard much about Tekken 8. It's, it's doing just well. in general, is it doing well? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I have issues with fighting games because I usually learn one character very well and then find it's the worst character to learn. And I'm <laughs> angry. <laughs> and online play is not designed for a man of my age now. I'm like a granddad. I'm determined up. to learn. I'm determined <laughs> to get better. <laughs> But it's um, overall, it's really positive. Like, and this is this is not a definitive list. This is mm-hmm. literally stuff that we know is coming up. There is so much other stuff in the pipeline, and it's really good to see that actually Birmingham's got. Well, if you keep an eye on our social media and our sister account, Geeky Goings On, would you say that's a good place to find out information, Matt? I would say it's probably the definitive place to find out <laughs> stuff happening around Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And beyond as well. And so, beyond. Yeah, because the whole Midlands area. That's film festivals, events, special screenings, always some interesting stuff going on there. Mm. So other than the obvious um, Birmingham Anime and Film Festival, which is going to be outstanding, um, any other events we're looking forward to? So we've said UK Games Expo. The uh, Anime Con. So we went down for their first year last year, and it was great, to be honest. They had a really good, it was a really good vibe, really, yeah. really enjoyed it, and some fantastic guests, and I think they're building on it this year. They've just done their event in Drum Sheds, which was a couple of weekends ago, and that seems to have gone down really well, so they seem to be branching out well. That yeah. and MCM, which is always good fun. In terms of like events we're looking forward to, uh, one that you have not mentioned, um, but um, so I'm only going to be doing two days of the UK Games Expo, because on the Sunday... At the Symphony Hall, there is a Final Fantasy concert. Ooh. So I'm determined to go to that. So <laughs> That's also across the Spider-Verse is doing a tour of live in concert along with the movie. <laughs> I know you don't care about that one, but I think they haven't released the venues yet, but I wouldn't be surprised mm. if they came to Birmingham mm. or somewhere close yeah. by. So we'll wrap up the segment, but stay tuned for Geeky Brummy because we will be covering several of these events. We'll also be... Um, doing various reviews, catch-ups, what's-ons on the website, on the social media channels. And yeah, it's looking to be quite a fun 2024. It's time for our regular roundup of One Geek Thing, the one thing that we've all been up to or enjoying whilst we've been away from the previous episode. To kick us off, Lee, you can start us off. What's okay. been your one geek thing since we caught up last Christmas? Oh, God. Um, so, 
obviously for this I always bring up a game that I've been playing, but I worked out that since the start of the year, since games have been releasing this year, I've played at least one game from each week of this year. It is absurd, and I don't know how I pulled that off. Um, some are better than others. So um, Power World. <laughs> the Power World, there's Tekken 8, there's Silent Hill, the short message, which is bad, don't touch it. Um, there's Foam Stars, which is okay. Um, and... Mm the Tomb Raider remasters, and the Pacific Drive. I talked a, bit, a little bit about Pacific Drive earlier in the show, so I'm not really going to go into that. I'm, do you know what? I'm just going to talk about the Tomb Raider remasters because, you know, people so, who know me know that I love Tomb Raider. Have <laughs> they fixed the tank controls? Um, so it still has the tank controls, but it also has a new modern controls um, system, which is bad, don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> but the tank control system is bad. No, the tank control system is fine. It's designed for that game. <laughs> and that's the problem with the modern controls, is that they're, they're, they're controls that are not designed for that those yeah. games. So. so, if anybody hasn't heard of tank controls, what are they? So basically, tank controls are, if you press up, it moves your character forward, press down, it moves them back, left and right, turn them. So it's, it's like the movement of a tank. So it's, you know, um, so that's how Lara moves. So if you're pressing left and right, she'll turn rather than, or if, you, yeah. if you're pressing like one of the, the shoulder buttons, then she'll sidestep sort of thing. And it's designed because the whole game is built around like a grid based system. And this just makes the, the jumping easy to line up to do it that way. Um, but yeah, I've been playing that. They've like kind of overhauled the visuals completely. Um, Second question, can you still lock the butler in the fridge? Yes, you can. That's and, the most important part. And even better, you can get an achievement for it. <laughs> it is one of the 269 <laughs> trophies that they have put in this game. Um, because it's across all three games, plus their expansions. And this was the main reason I bought the remaster, is even though I've played the original three games like a ridiculous amount of times, and I still have the originals, the one thing I've never been able to play was the expansions for those original three games. Um, there's Unfinished Business for Tomb Raider 1, Golden Mass for Tomb Raider 2, and The Lost Artifact for Tomb Raider 3. And they were all PC only. I owned the PlayStation version, so I never got to play them. And like trying to like play them on a modern PC, I was just like, it's going to be too much work to try and just get them functional functioning. So when I saw that the, the remasters were including those expansions, I was like, I need to get this. And it's been so good playing them because it's like playing a brand new Tomb Raider game in that sort of classic style. And it's so exciting for me because, like, obviously with the, Tomb, the series changing so much over the years, uh, that classic style's kind of gone away. And it's so good to like just play stuff that I don't know in that style and just getting to explore something new. And I'm like, we need to do more of this. Crystal Dynamics, please. <laughs> Just do more of this sort of style of Tomb Raider. Yeah, I know you're a massive thing fan of game preservation mm -hmm. and bringing old games to modern audiences. Yes. Do you think this is one of the better examples that we've seen? Yes. So one of the things they've done, like I said, they've overhauled the visuals. Um, so it's it's not like super AAA. Like it still very much looks like an older game. If anything, it looks kind of like it's from the PS2, mm -hmm. um, but in HD. But you can switch to the original visuals at any time. And it is literally a button press. So I'm playing on PlayStation. If you press the options button, it just immediately switches it. 
and it's it's kind of bizarre. Like I genuinely don't know how they've made it work. So it's literally just a button press, and you can just keep pressing it on the switch between the two visuals. They did that with the Halo Master Chief mm-hmm. Collection, where you could switch to original graphics or yeah. mm-hmm. was remastered. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realise the first twenty minutes of play that I was playing in the old clunky graphics. <laughs> I was like, I haven't remastered anything on this. Well, well I, I, fa- I found this out because the options button is usually the start button. It's usually like pause. Yeah. So I pressed it, and I was like, well, this isn't pause because now everything's like cubes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, um, it's just it, it's really good to sort of sort of get these games back on a, on modern systems because up until this point I think they've only really been available on PC um, where they haven't worked brilliantly um, just because they're, they're all the games and like the control scheme was like designed back in 1996 when no one had figured out what controls were yet um, so it's got like I think like the original Tomb Raider uses the arrow keys to move Lara mm-hmm. instead of WASD, which I think the mod, the remaster has changed to WASD. Um, but it's just kind of good to actually have these original games so accessible. It's quite interesting with the remaster thing, especially with Sony, because you've got a great example in Tomb Raider, and then you've got a terrible example in The Last of Us Part Two remastered, mm-hmm. which is basically this game's not even that old, but we're putting it out again mm-hmm. because we're going to get more money from the PS5 audience. Yeah, I think it was quite nice because, as you said, they've so. I've been playing it to death, and it's it's just amazing. But it's that kind of thing of um, because they've used the original framework, and it almost feels like you how you imagined it was back in yeah. the day, um, and it was quite nice because you could see a lot of these games being remastered in this way. So even things like you know the old Resident Evils and that kind of thing, just with that where it's got the gloss it's got like a glossy film on it but it's still mm-hmm. in all intents and purposes the same game because they, they also with this remaster all of the original bugs still work like mm-hmm. there's loads of um, glitches and things you could you can still do but yeah, I know that like it, there's even an achievement for performing the corner bug yeah which is basically like if you sort of run up to a corner and you jump enough Lara will sort of teleport up to a platform like it'll sort of like get confused over where she's standing and just kind of go, well, this is the nearest platform. Yeah. And apparently, and there are some like med med kits which are sort of inaccessible normally, but if you use the corner bug, you can get to them. And it, there's one of them that if you pick that up, you get an achievement for it. So they've 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 not only kept all the glitches, but they're kind of proud of keeping yeah. all the glitches. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's it's been a lot of fun revisiting that. So. Fired and final question. Is the T Rex in it? Yes, it is basically the original <laughs> games. Um, all three um, first three games, as they were, yeah. just with a, a, a new visual. And like you said, like every while playing it with the modern graphics, I keep thinking, "Oh, they haven't changed it at all." And then I'll accidentally press options. And I'm just like, "Oh wait, no, yeah, they did," because <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like this is what it looked like in the past. And then, oh no, no, it isn't. It didn't look like that. But like going switching back to the old graphics, especially in Tomb Raider One, there's sometimes I'm looking at things going, "What am I looking at?" Like I actually don't, <laughs> don't know what this room is. But the problem is, you're looking at that on a 12-inch CRT back mm, then, and everything yeah. was smoothed out, and now you're looking at it. Yeah. You know, what, 4K or 1080p resolution? Mm-hmm. You go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome, thank you. Matt, we'll go down the line. What's your one geek thing been the last few weeks? Um, I've gone down an Evil Dead rabbit hole. 
So I've watched Evil Dead 1 and 2, um, and I've also been watching Ash vs. the Evil Dead. So I've always, obviously I've seen it all before, but always intermittently. And then Ash vs. the Evil Dead, I watched the first series, really quite enjoyed it, and then never went back to it. So just randomly, I just had a real, real hankering to watch the Evil Dead, and then I just ended up binge watching all of it. Plus the 2013 reboot-ish thing, and then Evil Dead Rise. So I'm just on a bit of an Evil Dead binge. Evil Dead Rise. I really enjoyed Evil Dead Rise. Um, maybe it's controversial. I don't know. I just thought it was. It had the Sam Raimi sort of slapstick, but with some really good horror bits in it. It was just fun to watch Keith's face twitch then. Yeah, I know it's controversial, but I just, I quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I like, Evil Dead Rise is weird, because it was the opening that I thought was quite cool. That was great, with the with the title reveal, and then it kind of just went downhill after that. Mm. And I thought, I know where we got to get to, but the journey to it was not that interesting. Whereas Ash vs. Evil Dead is gloriously brilliant throughout, and having Lee Majors as Ash's... Uh, spoilers, Father is the greatest bit of casting I've ever seen. Yeah, and I just love having Lucy Lawless in it. Just being that sort of femme fatale side character, just brilliant. It's um, it's it's also it's just nice because um, Bruce Campbell is obviously that's everything to him, and you can see the passion in it, and it's just. Yeah, it's just a bit of fun, really. <laughs> so, what says the highlight and the low light of the franchise? Good question. I would probably say Evil Dead 2 is my highlight purely because it it just carried on so much. Like, And we have a lot to thank for the fact that Evil Dead 2... Evil Dead 1 obviously happened, but it, everything was like super low budget, so Evil Dead 2 was kind of secured the future of what we've got now. Um, low, I would probably say the Evil Dead 2013 reboot. Because Evil Dead Rise, I think at least they tried to do something different, whereas like the reboot was, it kind of tried to be a bit too horror. Yeah, and I didn't really vibe with it. It was the least Evil Dead out of the Evil Dead, if that makes sense. Even though it's called Evil Dead. Even though it's called Evil Dead. <laughs> no, thank you. Sam, how about yourself? Uh, so I'm going to cheat a little bit and use something that I watched towards the end of last year, but I've uh, been sort of waiting to use it as my one geek thing since then. So uh, uh, I've uh, watched uh, the really rather brilliant Blue Eyes Samurai on Netflix. Um, which is an animated series um, set in sort of feudal Japan uh, where uh, at the time basically the idea is it's set in a period when uh, the uh, rulers of Japan basically outlawed white people uh, and westerners from Japan uh, anyone who was related to or was a white person uh, was kind of demonised uh, and it focuses on a samurai who has blue eyes because her father was a 
sort of white man who'd come along um, and uh, had sort of been in the country illegally uh, trying to sell guns. Um, it's incredibly well animated. Um, it sort of takes a similar kind of uh, kind of painterly style uh, that a lot of recent brilliant films have uh, have done. Um, and just to give you an idea of the level of detail, there's a bit where they're in Kyoto um, and they're walking through a castle. Um, and I was watching it thinking, um, I know that place. That's, that's Nijo Castle. I've been there. Uh, and the reason I recognised it wasn't because of the visuals. It was because I recognised the sound of the floorboards uh, as they were walking <laughs> over them. <laughs> because that, that castle sort of famously has... Uh, floorboards that were designed to make a kind of chirping noise like uh, like kind of crickets as you're walking over them um, uh, and I just thought that that's an incredible level of detail that I can look at that and think yeah no I've, I've definitely been there now that I've recognized it from the noise I can yeah recognize the corridor they're walking down as well um, uh, and it sort of extends to other things as well so if she gets injured at any point um, she will have the the scars of that injury for the rest of the show. Um, it's got a fantastic cast as well. Um, so uh, all the kind of big Asian American actors. So there's uh, Ming Na Wen, uh, James Hong, um, uh, what's his face? <laughs> uh, guy from Star Trek. Really silly, original silly. Oh, George Takai. Thank you. Yes, George Takai. <laughs> yeah, should really remember George Takai's name. Uh, but Hello. Yeah, he's in it. And it very recognisable voice, but uh, yeah, very uh, lovely character. Um, uh, and yeah, it's, it's beautifully made. Um, I can't recommend it enough. It, there was a little period where it didn't seem to have a huge audience uh, to begin with, and it was sort of touch and go about whether they'd actually... Uh, whether it would be popular enough for a second season, but they have now confirmed it's been renewed. Um, so, yeah, one to watch out for. Uh, Kenneth Branagh as well is in it and is an excellent, really horrible bad guy. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, if you haven't seen it, absolutely recommend it. Um, it deserves to be sort of being held up as one of the big Netflix series, I think. Awesome, thank you. Keith, how about yourself? All right. There's a, a tremendous amount of good TV around at the moment, but I'm going to mention a show again that I've probably mentioned in the past before, and it's now running its second season on BBC over here. It was on HBO Max in America. It's finished. It's now been cancelled, which has caused an absolute furore amongst the fans. Um, but I'm saying my one geek thing this week is going to be uh, Our Flag Means Death, a show created by... <laughs> Ryan's obviously been on the boat <laughs> in our flag means death. <laughs> Too much room there for Ryan. Um, so he's created by David Jenkins, uh, stars uh, Reese Davis, um, Reese Darby, who you might remember from things like um, Voltron or Flight of the Concords, uh, and also um, some director, uh, some geezer. He's done a couple of Marvel movies. Uh, I forgot his name. Taika something. Taika Waititi or something. Um, so they both play um, Blackbeard the Pirate and uh, the Gentleman Pirate, Steve Bonnet. So it's, a lot of it is actually historically accurate. Surprisingly, the amount of it is historically accurate. Uh, but basically, it's the love story between Blackbeard and Steve Bonnet. And it's it's just beautiful. 
every episode I watch, I just go, oh my God, that was just amazing and fantastic and I love it. Um, and I've boot, I've, I've bought some bootleg Blu-rays of it because there's never going to be a physical release of it. And there's a chance because HBO and Warners and all the rest of it, you know, who knows when it might be removed from the various digital platforms. Um, so I thought, I am not missing having this. So I've, I've bought some bootleg uh, Blu-ray, so I know I'm going to be able to watch it again at some point further down the line. But every actor in it is just perfectly cast. The dialogue just flows so beautifully. Everybody just—it just seems so natural. You just kind of think it's—it's it's not a TV show. This is really happening right now. And um, I know a lot of people struggle with Taika Waititi, but he's fantastic as Blackbeard the Pirate. His, his performance is phenomenal uh, as an actor. He's doing brilliant work in here, and it carries a lot of that. Taika Waititi sensibility even though he's a kind of like an executive producer and he's created by David um, Jenkins it carries a little bit of that slightly quirky weird odd uncomfortable strange kind of thing that you get from a lot of his films like Boy or um, um, Hunt for the Wild People Hunt for the Wild People and, and um, I recently saw his film uh, Next Goal Wins which I loved it's, I, I really enjoyed that I thought it was a great movie um, but yeah there's just something about our flag means death that I just, I, um, touches me so deeply emotionally that I'm just like this is just so beautiful and you're kind of almost drawn to tears every time and they used Kate Bush's This Woman's Work in a recent episode and I was like you because <laughs> that is a that is a song that I tip tears me up every time you know it was used in the Kevin Bacon movie um he said she said I think or, no or she's having a baby I think that was with the film uh, but it's a beautiful piece but there's it it's just amazing and um there's there's a lot of kind of mystical stuff in there as well and fantasy and stuff it's just just phenomenal so if you haven't watched it it's on BBC at the moment um if you if you're elsewhere in the world you might be able to get it through HBO Max um, but I definitely recommend you watch it it's just a phenomenal bit of television so back to you Ryan what have you what's your one geek thing so I was going to say DS9 because I'm on a bit of a binge rewatch on Paramount Plus, but I've changed my mind because I'm going to go with one of the greatest shows on modern television as well, which is on Disney Plus over here in the UK. I think it's Showtime in the States, which is The Bear. Which is... I, I There is not enough superlatives in the world for the show. It is some of the greatest half an hour of TV that I've ever watched. In my life, just coming towards the end of season two. I know it's been out for a while, so we're catching us. Season one was a fantastic tour de force, but season two has upped it on every single level. Um, brought in some fantastic little guest spots in here, but every single character, I think the series pretty much gives them a little vignette after the first couple of episodes. So you get a full on proper backstory for each one of the characters that you got introduced to in season one. And some of the stories are just so beautiful, it's just fantastic to watch. The last one I watch, I'm going to call out the episode Forks, which I think deserves an Emmy on its own just for that episode. She takes the character uh, cousin, who's like the guy who was left running the restaurant when uh, uh, Kami, before Kami returns, and it's him working in a three-star Michelin restaurant and learning how service works. Richie, that's Richie, Richie sorry, Eben, Eben, Eben Moss Backrack, who's, who's now, now going to be the, the thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. I have real big hopes now for that fantastic movie, for movie based on him playing that character because I think he's going to be absolutely fantastic as the thing. But if you have not watched The Bear, 
There is no excuse. If you're in Disney Plus, go and watch it now. It is some of the best acting and the best TV you'll ever see. Uh, the Christmas dinner episode as well is a fantastic one. And I think they just threw the entire guest star budget out there. You've got Jamie Lee Curtis playing Carmi's mom. Absolute perfect casting on that. But yeah, it's just... Every single every, every single half an hour is a joy to watch. And it's one of those films, the shows you want to savour. I'm assuming Matt and Sam, you watched it as well. Uh, I've seen season one, but I haven't seen season two yet. So I, I, I'm inspired to get on that, which uh, I have been meaning to for a while. Um, I've not. It's on my list. And everyone keeps telling me to watch it. So, yeah. <laughs> if you've ever worked in hospitality or retail or the service industry, there'll be some one of these characters that you all gel with. And the interplay between the characters as well is just absolutely fantastic. It deserves every single plot it's getting. So our recommendations were? Uh, Tomb Raider Remasters. Evil Dead. Blue Eye Samurai. Our Flag Means Death. And The Bear. I'm sure I'll put links to that somewhere in either the description or on the Geeky Brewery website. Thank you for joining us for Geeky Brummy for this issue. Um, hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you've enjoyed what we've shared with you this week. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, do all the usual stuff from the Twitch bits. And we're on socials on Facebook, Instagram, threads that we don't use, and we should do Twitter, Blue Sky, and a few other social medias. But we'll get those out there, and links will be in the description. Lee, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on uh, YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, uh, where I've got a couple of videos in the works, one of which is on the Tomb Raider remasters, just a sort of quick one, just sort of giving my impressions on the expansions. Um, and um, I'm not going to say what the other one is, but I did buy a conspiracy board for it. Um, so you can also find me as a freelance writer, mostly working as um, uh, writing for Silicon Era, uh, where you can see me posting like various different things. I've got my Pacific Drive review should be up by the time this episode is out. So, and you can also find me on Twitter at the Cheap Ferret as well. So, awesome, thank you, Sam. Where can we find you online? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at sdedwards89 or on Twitter at dragonsam89. Um, and as of this year, I'm also posting on the Geeky Brownie website every Thursday, uh, doing a roundup of the films that are coming out uh, over the course of the next week. Um, so it'll be just a little summary of, uh, of what's coming up, reasons to get excited for each one of them, and a, a sort of pick of the week for which one I'm looking forward to the most. Awesome. Matt, how about yourself? You can follow me on Instagram at matchstick underscore Matt. You can also find me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Lovell. And Keith, how about yourself? Uh, on the various socials, you can just find me as Hard Luck Hotel. Um, just if you, if you if you look for Hard Luck Hotel, it's bound to be but me. Then on Wednesdays, I do my comics pool list, which is the comics that I'm buying and the on the radar books, which are ones I'm looking at or probably will buy on trade or digital at some point down the line. But I'm also going to take this opportunity to say one of my students revealed this week that they listened to the show. So I just wanted to say a big shout out to Gabby. Hi, Gabby. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> say hi, Gabby. Hi, Gabby. Hi, Gabby. There you go. So there you go, Gabby. And I, I, now I'll know whether you actually do listen. <laughs> um, and so, Ryan, what about you? Where can we find you on the various socials? You can find me on the Twitters at, at Ryan Parrish. 
But uh, yep, as I mentioned, Geeky Remy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Blue Sky, YouTube. Of course, if you're watching this on podcasting services of your choice, if you're listening to this, as I mentioned, geekyremy.com, where you can find a fantastic range of articles, including Keith's Comic Roundup, Sam's Film Roundup, and Lee's Gaming Roundup at the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, respectively. If I don't forget to upload it on one day and end up putting it up at 9pm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we've got some more fantastic articles coming soon. Don't forget about BAF coming up, so B-A-F-F-U-K. There'll be some more information coming out on that very shortly about the schedule for 2024. But, yep, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye.